into the contest. It's Monday the 9th of August. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by the birthday boy. Happy birthday, Shane Lee. How are you, mate? Thank you, mate. Yes, 48 yesterday on the 8th of the 8th. So it was, uh, I was a big party, Tim. I had four people over here, but they all live here. It's oh. all my family. <laughs> <laughs> they all do speeches? They all did speeches. The kids did a nice little, uh, some nice treats and Lorraine organised a beautiful dinner from Chiswick. So it was a good feed and they sang to me and I blew out the birthday candles, mate. So it was all good, mate. Yeah, I saw that food on um, Instagram. Boy, it looked good. Mm. Congratulations and happy birthday, mate, and many happy returns. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Today on the show, we have former AFL champion Corey McKernan and Peter Hatfield, Australian Olympic athlete of course what a games it was as the curtain fell in Tokyo Shane, look, can Melbourne be beaten? Uh, this Melbourne Storm side, I know they've clicked over 17 straight wins, but Manly, they pushed them to the edge and Things go their way a couple of times, they win. Yeah, definitely, mate. And um, yeah, look, Manly are a team, I think we've mentioned a couple of times in this show, that have the ability to really take it to the to the top end of the field there, uh, being the Storm, but still 28 to 18 win uh, for the Storm. But th- there is some um, opportunities, I think, to really push the Storm, as you said. But um, you know, if you're putting your money on it, mate, I'd, I'd probably say I'd go with the Storm. Yeah, yeah I de- look, I would be too, but I'm just starting to see a possibility. I suppose everyone's trying to find a way to see how they could be beaten. And the Wallabies, I watched this game. I thought they were extraordinary against the All Blacks. They were really strong. couple of things go their way again. They get a few goal kicks. They win at Eden Park. 35 years since we've beaten them there. 35 years, Timmy, at one ground, Eden Park. And um, look, a lot a lot went the Wallabies' way, as you said. A 19-8 penalty count in our favour. But the All Blacks seemed to uh, seem to find a way to win over there. And um, look, I, I think it's it's funny when you look, look at a football ground. It's the same dimensions all, all around the world. But there's some reason when they play in front of their home crowd there, they're unbeatable. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of positives to come out of it, though. A lot of positives to come out of it for the for the Wallabies, Dave Rennie and his team. This is a special birthday edition of Afternoon Sport, the Shane Lee Blow Out the Candles birthday edition. Coming up shortly, we will speak to two-time Premiership player with North Melbourne. What about the upsets in the AFL? It's Corey McKernan. Follow and subscribe to Sportonomic. Venture with me, Reese Lenarduzzi, and other industry experts and key players beyond the mere headlines and into the depths of sports business, law, economics, and finance. Find Sportonomic on your favourite podcast app now. Sportonomic, sponsored by Athlon Partners. Come find out about the emerging universe of sports capital at athlonpartners.com. It's time to talk AFL and what a riveting round of AFL we've seen and it really does set it up over the next few weeks. Former two-time Premiership player Corey McKernan, what a weekend. Yeah, wasn't it a, a wild weekend that really kicked off on on Friday night with the Giants going down with their, one of their most inexperienced teams of all time, but they just threw caution to the wind and uh, had a great win. But Corey, just on that Geelong and a couple of big injuries out, out of that as well with Rowan injured, um, it, it was the game that we always talk about where the the Giants can somehow pull a win from nowhere and upset one of the top top teams. But and it's a, and it's a it's a game that Geelong should have won as well. Yeah, look for both teams, there was a hell of a lot on the line, but I think more in, in more. I suppose in particular, given Geelong, they've really loaded up with senior players and 
just seems at the moment a lot of those senior players, are they going to be durable enough to see the year out? More importantly, can they perform in September? But it's a bad it's a bad loss for them. Look, any of those top four teams losing now, they're really putting their um, you know, I mean their double chance hopes on the line. And but at the end of the day, look, it was a fantastic win by GWS to be able to go down there. To have to fly during COVID and all their routines tipped right upside down, it's just a fantastic win. Now, when criminals walk into uh, courtrooms, their history is looked at. It's difficult for sports people when they go to face judiciaries and tribunals. Toby Green, what do you think is going to happen to Toby Green? Will they let him off? Talking to the wrong bloke, Tim, if you know, if you thought I knew what tribunals are going to do to you. Um, <laughs> but no, look, in terms of. Uh, like maybe what he did, does it deserve a week? Possibly. But when you look at the precedent that's been set by other incidents, in particular Buddy, only a couple of weeks ago, you have to let him off. And I think the whole football industry is in agreement. But this is the confusing part, as I said, off the top. If, if you're looking at the incident in isolation, it maybe deserves a week. But when you're looking at all the other ones, and even the guy that he's ended up striking, well, let's not forget what Paddy Dangerfield did in the grand final last year. He knocked someone out and didn't get any weeks at all. So based on past incidents, he should get off. Now, Corey, two big losses for two teams that I thought should have won as well. The Bulldogs losing to Essendon 97 to 84 and the Sydney Swans going down to St Kilda 94 to 64. Yeah, well, the Western Bulldogs are really dominated possession in that game. And, you know, when they had, I think nearly, it was 61 to 39 inside 50s. And, again, it's a, ba- it's, a, it's a bad loss to them. It puts them under pressure in the final few weeks of the year. The Swans, it doesn't really hurt their position on the ladder, but as you said, it was a game. Look, it's a game that I think we're all glad that maybe in the scheme of things, we're glad they've won because it really sets up an intriguing final two rounds of the year. It does, doesn't it? And Essendon breathing down the neck, GWS there. Quite often we get to this time of the year and we think, oh, that's a dog of a game. There's no consequence there. But we really are looking right across uh, the weekends to come and think, well, that's really pivotal for that. That's very important for that. That oh, Who could get the wooden spoon out of that game? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's going to be interesting the final two weeks. I think with the greatest respect to West Coast Eagles and GWS fans, um, tonight with the Eagles taking on Melbourne in Perth, if they end up losing this week and GWS lose on Friday night against Richmond, it really sets up a crazy final two rounds of the year. And you know, I mean, I, like I said, with the greatest respect to those two sets of fans, um, I, I would like to see it happen just to make it super interesting, all the permutations that can happen. Another team that's sort of, it's there and thereabouts is Brisbane. They had a fantastic win over Frio, 118-54, really dominated them. Yeah, look, they they were, as I mentioned, some of these other teams that had lost in around that top four. The Lions, I think, unfortunately, I can't see them finishing in the top four now. Yep, it's a great win to go over there, but I think they're just going to – they're sitting six points behind Melbourne at the moment. They'd need a lot of things to be able to go wrong uh, for those teams above them to still finish in the top four. Um, but look, to go over there and beat an informed team in Fremantle, it was a great win by them. Now, Corey, uh, I know that uh, Cameron Smith's mullet has taken a life of its own in golf. He's now gone one step further and put the AUS for the Olympics. What did you think of his look, the old Cam Smith? Well, uh, Tim, it must have had a reasonably good effect because for those that don't know, Cam Smith, uh, and I know he's heavily in contention this morning, so I'm not sure of the result at the moment, but 
at the PGA, when he got back from the Olympics, there was one of the big end of tour te- championships that are on at the moment. Cam Smith has set an 18-hole record where he had only 18 putts. Now, for the non-golfers out there, most of the time you work on the proviso that you hopefully have a minimum of hopefully only have two putts per green. So that's 36. So that shows you how good the record of um, what Cameron Smith's done. I think the, the average on the PGA Tour for any round is about 27 putts per round. Cam Smith had 18 putts, so it showed how well maybe I might oh, yeah. start the mullet and do the same thing because my putting oh, yeah. is terrible. <laughs> did, did you wear a mullet at one stage, Corey? <laughs> Mate, I had a mullet. I'm sure there's some old footy cards of you with a mullet. Well, uh, now that you say it, Shane, there must be something in the mullet because I uh, won the AFL MVP wearing a mullet in 96. That's so I, I think um, there might be something in the, in the power of the mullet. Bring back the mullet. They bring it back, Timmy. Come on. And you went to the Brownlow medal with your desert boots and your Volano. That does wind the clock back. Yeah, 18 parts. Goodness gracious. And I have, I have 18 parts off the green onto the green. So uh, it's just extraordinary. Corey, great to chat. We'll talk soon. Thanks, boys. Talk soon. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, former Olympian Peter Hatfield takes a look at our mighty performance on the track and in the field in Tokyo. Well, the Olympic Games in Tokyo has come to a close in an extraordinary couple of weeks. Australia enjoyed its equal most successful games in history. 17 gold medals, 7 silver, 22 bronze, combining for a total of 46 medals. It was amazing. And we are joined by former Olympian Peter Hadfield right now on the track and field. They were great right across the games. Peter, what did you make of Tokyo? Well, Timmy and uh, Shane thought it was a a marvellous Olympic Games, a marvellous from the point of view that the uh, Tokyo organising committee could actually get it across the line and and did it so well. But um, the Aussies right across the board in a whole stack of sports competed uh, magnificently well. Now, Peter, we spoke last week about um, the decathlon and our chances there with Ash. He came home with our first bronze medal, which you must have found unbelievable. Yeah, I was a bit twitchy, I've got to say, Shane. Whenever the decathlon's on, I sort of think, Oh, perhaps I should give this a go, but uh, then my six my, my sixty six years of experience tenses no, don't, 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 don't be stupid. But uh, Ash Maloney was just absolutely superb. Just a 21 year old kid from Queensland. Really, this is uh, his first major competition internationally, and he's come out and he's done uh, eight personal best, you know, eight lifetime best out of the ten decathlon events, yeah. and the and the only two events that he didn't. Uh, create his PBs in with a long jump and he was only six centimetres down in the long jump and he actually ran the fastest 400 metres of anybody in the competition and he was just four four tenths of a second down on his personal best there. So an amazing performance by by Ash and uh, he really has um, got the goods to be a a real, well, he's a world-class athlete already just at 21 years of age, but he has the opportunity to be a real superstar and and uh, thankfully, what he has done is put uh, decathlon on the map so yep. people might recognise what the event is now. One of the great moments for me, of course, came in the decathlon when Ash Maloney was running the 1500 and Cedric Dubler got behind him and cheered him on and gave him great encouragement. Look, oh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a softie. I cry in, in insurance ads and the voice and stuff. But this really was a touching sporting moment. 
for you know encouraging him in the fifteen hundred meters. I guess we have to put it in perspective because there's been a few um, you know commentators out there saying that I oh, said Cedric actually sacrificed his performance um, to help to help Ash along. Well, that wasn't the case. Yeah, you know, Cedric no hide it in the in the pole vault, so his competition was basically over. But what he mm. did do, he kept going, he threw the javelin, and he kept running in the fifteen hundred meters so he could support his training partner and and uh, local Queenslander. And you know, I think the other thing too that we also must take into you know, consideration that if you needed your teammate to motivate you, you know, to kick home in the 1500 metres um, to win a bronze medal, well, then there's something a little bit missing there in your competitive juices. So, uh, yeah, well done to Cedric for doing what he did do. But I think Ash Maloney too really must take credit because he did uh, create a personal best in that 1500 metres. Peter, some other really good uh, results um, on, on the track side of things. Peter Bowl fourth, but McDermott getting a silver in a high jump was also fantastic. Yeah, Nicola was superb. She had great form coming into these games. Uh, just such a composed athlete. Uh, was probably our best chance of winning a, a medal when we came into these Tokyo mm. Games because she jumped two metres 01 and uh, the, the gold medal last time in Rio was won with one metre 97 but the, what um, wasn't taken into consideration when you look at the form guide is Maria Lazitskine from uh, the, the Russian Olympic Committee team. Uh, she's been the three times consecutive world champion in the high jump, and she wasn't allowed to uh, compete in Rio because of the ban uh, overall on the entire Russian athletics team. Mm. So she came through. She won the gold. Uh, Nicola McDermott yeah, won the silver with a new Australian record, so another lifetime best, 2 metres 02. And Eleanor Patterson from Australia also qualified for the final. She finished a creditable fifth. So uh, a wonderful performance by, by Nicola. And yeah, and on the the same night we had really the three women in the in the javelin final, which was absolutely yes. amazing. And um, Kelsey Lee Barber, who was the world champion in 2019, and was probably affected adversely because of the fact um, that they delayed the games by 12 months because she was in absolutely ripping form in um, 2020, but had a few injuries over the last 12 months or so, and mm. almost did almost didn't make the final because she was stone motherless last after two throws in the qualifying round, and then let one go and, and qualified for for the final. But she wins a bronze medal as well with a uh, you know, season's best of 64-56. And then the Commonwealth champion, Catherine Mitchell, finished in sixth place in the final. And uh, just a young a youngster, really, Mackenzie Little uh, from Sydney here, um, she finished eighth. So, yeah, wonderful performance um, for all of those athletes to medal. But I think most importantly, though, it was just the the, the all-round you know, strong performance of the Australian team, yeah, including, mm. our, including our medalists. There were 16 people who actually qualified for the final. And then there was another seven or eight who created all lifetime bests, which is an amazing performance to do you know, in the cauldron of you know, Olympic competition. And then you had, you know, as you said, Peter Boll finished fourth behind the, the Kenyans in the final career and, and Rotich. Matt Denny, the Queenslander uh, mm, in the in, in the men's discus throws a monster personal best of over 67 metres, misses the bronze medal by just five centimetres. And then I know when we last spoke, um, Brandon Stark you know, finishes yep. fifth in the, the men's high jump uh, uh, and he's just two centimetres behind the gold medal performance. And, you know, I think when you start to look at those sorts of performances on how close we were and the fact that we got into so many uh, finals, it was an amazing performance. And I think, for me, one of the performances of, of the Olympic Games was uh, Patrick Tiernan in, in the 10,000-metre in the final on the first night of athletics competition. Mm -hmm. 
And he goes into this, um, you know, this 10,000-metre race against the world record holder, Joshua um, Cheptegui, with uh, his personal best is a minute or more faster than Tiernan's. But Tiernan guts it out to be you know, running with that leading group until the, the second last lap. And he was obviously, you know, his legs were going harder than they've ever gone in, in their life before. And uh, yet... And unfortunately, he just basically blew up and with a lap and a bit to go. But uh, really emotional scenes when we saw him you know, fall down and then get up and fall down and get up and then do it again and, and get up just to get to the finish line. And I think to me that really epitomises you know, what competition and you know, what the Olympics and that mm. spirit of you know, just getting there, getting across the line, doing your best. And I think the most important part is is really, you know, we've performed incredibly well. And now they have to look forward, whether they give it away or whether they go forward in three years' time and do it all again. Yeah, well, we need to keep them going, don't we? We had two athletes in the 1,500-metre final in the men's and the women's. Extraordinary. That was a great snapshot of exactly what went down for the uh, the track and field. And they really have performed above themselves. We've got the Commonwealth Games next year. The French Olympic Games is only three years away. Remember that. It's only three, not four. But, Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show. Plenty to look forward to going forward. Uh, absolutely. Delighted to speak, Tim and, and Shane, and let's make it sure that we don't wait three years before we talk again. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. A big thank you goes out to Peter Hatfield and to Corey McKernan. Thank you to our sponsors, X-Blades. Yeah, www.xblades.com.au. And our wonderful producer, Mr. Dan McHugh. We'll be back with our daily dose of sport tomorrow. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.